right. Well, good morning again. My name is David Collister. I'm the lead pastor here at Current. We're living in uncharted times. For instance, there's been any number of crises that have hit the world down the ages, and the church has always tried its best to figure out how to respond, adjusting to do different things differently. And this is the first time where we've had a pandemic like this of this scale, but there's been this online technology available to us. And so, for instance, last Sunday, and indeed today as well, there have been thousands, if not tens of thousands of churches all across the country gathering in this way. Uh, We're living in uncharted times. You know, I'm reminded of another joke that Jimmy Fallon, excuse me, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel uh, said this week in his mini-log when he said something to the effect of, you know, you really do learn a lot about yourself when you're isolated at home. For instance, I've learned that I have two young children. And I just started laughing and probably crying a little bit on the inside when he said that joke because I know what he's talking about as a parent. You know what he's talking about as a parent. We're living in uncharted uncharted times in terms of parenting, trying our best to help keep our kids being educated, keeping them entertained, all the while trying to get all the work we need to get done. We're living in uncharted times. We're living in uncharted times as a church as we figure out how best to love and care and serve one another in these times. We're we're trying our best to figure out how to love and care for the city around us, the community around us in these times. And we're trying our best to figure out how can we continually hold out the hope in Jesus Christ during these times. We're living in uncharted times. But here's the big thought behind this series. Uh, While we are living in uncharted times, we don't want to see obstacles and the unknown as hindrances, but rather as opportunities to partner with God to do wonderful things. Uh, While there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of hard things happening out there, we believe that God is moving and doing wonderful things as his plan is always for the good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, that we can be his conduits of peace, hope, and love with those around us. In other words, as a church, we are not shutting off during these times. If anything, we're stepping it up, trying our best to ask, how can we move with God in in new ways? And how can we best love and care for those around us? And so today, what I thought we could do is level set and speak to the heart. So just high levels, we're getting into this series and and kind of considering all this around us and this new normal, these new realities that we're living with. I want to ask questions like, how ought Christians to be thinking about things in this time? How ought Christians be orienting their hearts in this time? How are we as people to respond with love and care, even in the midst of, of more trying times? And so to do this, we're going to be looking at Psalm 11. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 11. If you have a physical Bible, just open right up to the middle. You'll find the Psalms right there and then find Psalm 11. Or you can look to the right of your screen in front of you and find the Bible tab on the right. And uh, you can pull down, I'm using the NIV version or the New International Version, so you could follow along with that. But we're looking at Psalm 11. Uh, let me read this for us. Psalm 11 verse 1 says, In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
The Lord is in his temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. He, his eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous. But the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice and the upright will see his face. In his book, The Songs of Jesus, Tim Keller describes the book of Psalms as a medicine chest for the soul. Uh, really saying that in all of the Psalms, we have just about every circumstance that we can face and every emotion for how we can face the different things that we face in, in life. It's all covered here in the book of, of Psalms. But what's really cool about the book of Psalms is not only is it medicine for the soul during whatever times we're facing, or aloe for the soul, but it's also a helpful way to show us how we can process the things that we're facing before God, including crisis, which is what is happening in Psalm 11. So what we're going to look at here in Psalm 11 is really three pieces of advice for facing crisis. Okay, But first, let's consider the situation that was happening. The first three verses depict panic. Uh, it says, "The Lord, uh, in the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee? And then verse three really is key here. It says, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? King David is the author of Psalm 11. And while we don't know the exact circumstances that he was facing, uh, he faced a lot of really scary things as an ancient king back then. Uh, we don't know exactly what situation he was facing in particular here, but we do know it's a life or death situation for him. That someone or some people are out to get him, out to kill him, and it looks like they're really close to pulling that off. And so what his advisors are saying are, is it's time to run. It's time to flee. And when it says the foundations are being destroyed... Bible scholars help us understand that that's talking about social foundations. Uh, David is saying the social order was unraveling. The things that make normal life possible were starting to give. Uh, when the social order gives, the economy starts to give. Uh, safety on the streets start to give. Uh, there's, there's lots of uncertainty and there's lots of unrest. For instance, we as a society, you know, not myself, uh, but many, many years ago as a society, we, we faced this during World War II when society began to unravel, uh, unravel and there was much social unrest. Uh, now, we're not experiencing anything like World War II. We're not experiencing anything like King David was facing in the crisis that is in front of him. But there's a little bit of this happening around us. Uh, when, say, we go to the grocery store and we find that everything's been picked over. Or we're in that same grocery store and there's fights in the checkout line. Cindy said she was at the grocery store the other day and there was a fight that happened. Actually, I heard from someone else in the church there was a fight happening in, in the checkout lines. Or we see, we see on the news that the stock markets are plummeting, by the way, even as lots and lots of money is being pumped into them. This all leaves us with a bad feeling. It can at least give us a bad feeling. And the advisors were saying to David, it's time to flee. But David doesn't do it. Now, real quickly, uh, we need to be careful because what we're not saying here is don't quarantine. You know, uh, you know, go ahead and go out there and just, you know, carry on as life is normal. You know, don't flee, flee inside doors, um, but, but go outside. No, that's not what we're saying because the Bible calls 
Christians to love their neighbors. And so we aren't to put people at risk um, or their health or, or whatever that means. That's not what we're saying. But what we see here is David realizes that if he runs, he's going to make things worse. He's refusing to give into panic, in other words. And what he's doing as a leader and as an influencer is not only trying to figure out what's right to do before God, but what's right to do in terms of helping and being there for others. So here's the question for us. Well, okay, how do we do that then? How do we not give in to panic? Or maybe today you're not really feeling panicky all that much. If not, here's the question for you. How do you see the situation that we're in in light of God and what he's doing? But how do we not give in to panic? Here are three thoughts for when the foundations are eroding. First thought, we need to stop ruling the world. Uh, Look at verse 4. It says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. Uh, Growing up, did your parents ever give you those little toy steering wheels for you to kind of like drive along in the back seat while they were up front going about town? Uh, I loved that. I had this little steering wheel that I would just get lost in my imagination just looking out the window. And when my mom turned, I'd put on the little flicker and follow along. Like To my mind at that that age, I was just like, this is me driving. Um, In the Western world, we believe in a sense that we are in the driver's seat, that we are in control that we rule the world in that sense. So when we do lose control, it can really throw us. And it's times like these that we can really see that no, the human race has never ultimately been in control. But much of the rest of the world thinks that there are plenty of reasons, even if they don't know why, uh, that God is, is moving. But for Westerners, they believe, no, God couldn't possibly have some reason for allowing things to happen that I can't or I don't know about. But the Bible has so many examples, helpful examples of helping us see what it can look like for us to follow God or just have hope and security even in the midst of real trying crises. A classic example is Joseph. You can look at Genesis 50 verse 20. It's the first book of the Bible. But in, in Genesis, we are, we are introduced to Joseph, this guy who, has had, who had his foundations destroyed just year after year after year. Joseph was born into a big family of many brothers who eventually just got really jealous of Joseph because of his abilities, because of the favor that his dad lavished on him. And ultimately, they ended up selling him into slavery. And so Joseph just had a horrible time with it. And in slavery, things didn't go well for him there, as as poorly as it is to be a slave to begin with. He ended up being framed for something he didn't do. And so he was sent to prison. And then in prison, he was helping people. But even there, people weren't helping them back, helping him back. And, And time after time after time, we see Joseph is living this really exemplary life just with absolute humility, just selflessly living for others, and yet he's just in crisis after crisis after crisis. And yet, finally, when he is restored to a position of great power, and he's ultimately able to help all of the land uh, make it through another crisis of a great famine, that's all in the story there in Genesis, here's what he ultimately says to his brothers after being restored, these brothers who had sold him into slavery. He said, you intended harm to me, But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And then you can also look at Acts 4, 
verses 27 and 28, when the early church was on the cusp of being persecuted, here's how they prayed. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed God. But they did what you in your power and will had decided. That's saying God is ruling the world. Verse 4 of, of Psalm 11 is saying he sits on his heavenly throne, which means it's not our plan that's playing out. It is his plan. So we need to stop ruling the world. Now, what do we mean by that? Uh, the great reformer Martin Luther had a, a buddy uh, named Philip Melanchthon, who in many respects was, was maybe even smarter than even the great mind of, of Martin Luther. But there was this one time when Luther was in a time of, of crisis, of great crisis. He was actually being hunted. His life was in danger. And Melanchthon told Luther to flee. And Luther famously replied, let Philip cease to rule the world. And by that, he was saying to, to Melanchthon, his friend, Philip, if you know best how history ought to be, then really you are in trouble. Uh, your worry is coming from a place of you having to know best, you having to have all things figured out, to know what's best and what's right, but you're ultimately finding yourself in a place where you are not seeing that God has it all in control. And if you fail to do that, you will never have a ultimate sense of security because only he is in control, dear Philip. So we need to stop ruling the world. We need to stop finding trust in our ultimate sense of security in our being in control because ultimately we're not. But thank God he is in control and he is working things out ultimately for good, even hard things. So we need to start by stop ruling the world. But secondly, we need to start taking the test. Look at verse 4 and verse 5. It says, the Lord observes everyone on earth. His eye examines them. The Lord examines the righteous. In another translation, it says, the Lord tests the righteous. This is to say, when disaster hits, in a sense, it's a test. Notice here that, G that David is using the word for God translated the Lord. He's using a very personal, very intimate name for the Lord, the great name Yahweh, the, the very personal, intimate name that God gave his people to call upon him. Um, this is David's way of saying here, our heavenly father has his reasons for what happens in crisis, but among other things, he's calling you to test yourself. Now, what test is that? Or what test could this look like? I've heard it said that there really are two tests in this regard. There's the Jonah test and there's the Job test. So first, sometimes we face a Jonah test. Jonah was the prophet that God called to preach the gospel to the ancient enemies of the Israelites, the Ninevites, uh, just some bad characters. And so Jonah resolutely did not want to do it. Uh, he didn't want to be a part of God's plan in that and uh, because he liked what he had going for himself. He liked his own comforts. He didn't want to go and lose those to do something else. Um, he also figured he knew better than God. Like, God, those Ninevites aren't deserving of your grace. They're our enemies. And then finally, uh, he didn't want to go because he, he undoubtedly thought it was very dangerous to go. 
But at the end of the book, God comes to Jonah and essentially said to Jonah, Jonah, you've put yourself in a vulnerable position here because you're making this and that in your life more important than me. And when the foundations give way, where then will that leave you? In the long run, you will be much happier and much more stable if you look to find your all in me. Furthermore, God was saying to Jonah, you're missing out, Jonah. You're missing out on the bigger plan I have to bring grace and love and hope to the world. That was the Jonah test that sometimes we face. We could be facing that right now. We need to test ourselves in this because we could very easily in this time look as much, many in our society are looking to this time to just really think inwardly, just to take care of ourselves and not really look to take care of others. But we're called to be thinking about others. As Christ followers, God is always moving. And so therefore we need to always be moving along with him, looking to love and care for others in wise and helpful ways. Again, as we said at the top, as a church and as followers of Jesus, we don't want to see obstacles as hindrances, but as actually opportunities to see God do wonderful things. Perhaps there are new things that God can do in the midst of us through you and me, through our church, that wouldn't have been possible beforehand, bringing his hope, peace, and love into the world. That's the Jonah test, but sometimes we face the Job test. Much of the book of Job is his friend saying to him, you're suffering because you're a sinner. You've sinned in some way. There's some part of your life that you're you're sinning. But Job responds, I don't get it. In fact, as readers, we know that there really wasn't any particular sin that Job was guilty of and that had brought about the suffering that he faces in that book. But rather, we see that, that Satan was saying there at the beginning, he was questioning if Job served God for God's sake. Because To him, he saw Job serving God for Job's sake. You just serve God because you have it easy. You have a nice life. You have a life of luxury. And so really, you're just serving God because it goes well for you that way. But that's why in the end of the book of Job, we find that God rewards Job because Job in the end had learned that he truly did love God for God and not for what God gave him or could take away from him which, by the way, is how all of us want to be loved. Uh, We don't want to be loved for how people receive our love or what, excuse me, what, what we have to offer or what we can give. I mean, could you imagine if your friends loved you because of what you offer them, what kind of status you give them or what kind of access that's possible when you're around? None of us want to be loved that way. Why should God want to be loved that way? So when crisis hits, We are to, number one, place our ultimate trust and hope in Him and Him alone. Number two, we're to look for opportunities to grow personally and love outwardly. And then last thought, we are to seek His face. Look at verse 7 of Psalm 11. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see His face. That's an invitation into communion with God. Not just to know about God but to know God for who he is, personally and intimately, to seek his face. That's like when you go on a first date with somebody and you sit across from them, you know, face to face. Even if the relationship is just budding, just getting going, there's a a very uh, intimate, personal interaction going on there. Um, It's deeply personal. Uh, 
This is the invitation that God invites us into, especially, by the way, in crisis, to seek his face, to seek intimate, deeper relationship with him for who he is. I wish I could say, looking back over the years of following Jesus, that most of the ways that I've grown in my relationship with him, grown as a follower of Jesus, have come just incrementally, just life happening, and just I've just grown along with it. But that really isn't the reality of things. Because so often, how the times in which I do grow most are the times in which I am either in or coming out of suffering, or, coming, or in the midst of or coming out of crisis. It has been said that all significant events in life are like smelling salts. Now, that's a really helpful thought because smelling salts at the time are not fun, right? I mean, they just smell horrible. They're just, no, ugh, yuck. But they're ultimately for our good. Why? Because they wake us up. Because they bring us back to life. So too ought crises in our lives drive us into deeper intimacy with God. They ought to drive us to seek His face, maybe even for the first time. And if you are a follower of Jesus, to go more deeply to him for who he is. Here are a couple ways you can seek his face when trouble strikes. Number one, get into the prayer closet. I mean, often it's during times of trouble or crisis that we remember or realize, boy, I really need to be praying. That's, that's okay. Use that to drive you into prayer. That's good. Let it drive you to prayer. We're actually getting ready to start a ministry as a church to call everyone in the church, those who are, who are able to and work through their schedules, uh, to, to pray, to have a little bit of a prayer gathering. We want to call people to prayer and we want to equip them, ourselves, to pray, to, to teach ourselves to pray. And so what we're going to learn to do is to, is, is to pray the Bible. And we're going to pray more specifically the Psalms. That's what we're going to call it, praying the Psalms, where we look at the Psalms. We use the text of the Psalms to learn God's heart, let God's word, his heart in his word, circulate in our spirits and act as a platform to take all these things and all our thoughts and cares to him in prayer. So I hope that you join us first. We're going to make it real uh, short and sweet, 10 minutes, 15 minutes tops. I'm probably going to do it in the mornings, more uh, to come on that as details come together. But we need to get into the prayer closet. That's how we can face uh, times of, of trouble. That's how we can seek his face. The other way we can seek his face is to turn to his word. In John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. That's a wonderful promise there. Uh, so often, functionally speaking, I can Think about my relationship with God as something that I need to do to reach out to him. But the truth of the matter is, it's actually he's already waiting and reaching out to me. I just need to respond. So will you? And in times of crisis, we can use this as an opportunity to to press us in more deeply into who he is and what he's done for us. Turning to God in his word and in prayer to ground us in him. You know, Psalm... 11 here in verse 4 says we are to seek the Lord in his holy temple. That's a really interesting phrase for David to have been using back then because in those ancient times only the high priest would go into the temple. And that just once a year the high priest would go behind the temple curtain 
which really represented the partition between God and humankind. And he would sprinkle the blood first for his own sin on the altar of a sacrificial lamb. And then he'd sprinkle the blood onto, onto the altar for the sins of the people. And in John 1, we're told that Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And then in John 2, when Jesus is clearing the temple courts because the people had set it up as a marketplace, he declared this, destroy this temple, he's referring to his body, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. So therefore we see Jesus is the temple, Jesus is the high priest, and Jesus is a sacrificial, the sacrificial lamb whose blood made, uh, paid the ultimate price for us to have forgiveness of sins once and for all. That everybody who receives him, who believes in his name, he gives right to become a children of God. And when he had accomplished this on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two. The partition between God and all of humankind was removed such that we can now receive him and be restored into a right relationship with him by faith in what he has done for us. And now that also means we can see his face. In Jesus, when we see Jesus, we can have a relationship, know what it means to have an intimate, personal relationship with the Lord because we are forgiven and restored as his children. And because of this, we can now also face crisis and even uncharted times that life throws at us. It's like the old hymn by John Newton uh, that says, By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you equip us for times of crisis because we know that ultimately you're in control. Uh, We know that even though we may struggle with feelings of anxiety, uh, we can ultimately put our hope and trust in you and rest firmly and securely there. And Father, we also want to recognize that it's in times of crisis that there is, dare we say, a gift available to us in that we can see our need to draw closer to you. So Father, would you help us, each of us, in this time, draw closer to you in, this, in the midst of all of this. Perhaps there are even people here today uh, who are attending online virtually here who have never stepped into a church before or really considered what it means to follow you, but are drawn in some way to you. Father, would you reveal yourself to them? Would you, would you reveal your face to them? And then for those who have received you, Father, would you help them help us cling to you in this time and grow in you? Ultimately, that we can more faithfully love those that you've placed in our lives. And Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that really we don't have to worry in times of crisis because he took upon himself the ultimate crisis of being separated from you for us so that in him we've received forgiveness and a restored relationship and ultimate security in you. So we praise you for that. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.